I swear, one of these times, you're gonna wake up in a coma. Wake up in a coma? Welcome to Welcome to Storybrooke. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we got some sweet, sweet Rapunzel backstory here. Yeah, we did. It's a it's a dark backstory. It is a super dark backstory, and we find out Rapunzel is like seven different people. Yeah, well, I mean, we already knew that Rapunzel was also Lady Tremaine. We didn't know that she was also apparently the original parents in the Rapunzel story. Yeah, right? And also, kind of, the original Cinderella. Yeah, there's a lot of different things going on here. Also, I feel like Ella last week omitted a very important part of the my mother had her heart poisoned story. I feel like Ella honestly has been phrasing the whole story in a very odd way. Especially the whole I'm responsible for what happened to Anastasia. Which, arguably, yes, but I would say it was more your parents for not paying attention to what was going on. She is so much less culpable than, say, Snow White was in The Death of Daniel. Yeah, like, this is really... This is not on her at all. Although I see how you could carry the guilt about that. Honestly, you know how we talk about the difference between fantasy violence and real world violence and the way this show is kind of good at illustrating that Mm -hmm. i think this is actually a really good example of the difference between fantasy tragedy and real world tragedy oh especially one right presented against another one yeah well and you're right in this episode it definitely is but also like if you think about regina's backstory daniel having his heart ripped out and crushed by her mother that is definitely fantasy tragedy But the story of Rapunzel we're going to see is really real-world tragedy. Mm. So let's jump into this. This is episode 9 of season 7, One Little... Deer or Tear. Yeah, I was going to say I thought it was One Little Tear because of the bit with Marcus and the cloak, but it's also One Little Tear because of the bit with Lucy and the belief. Yeah. Huh. That's clever of them. Yeah, I mean, they must have meant one or the other, right? Yeah, but it really works well either way. Interesting. Also, Jesus Christ, how effing complicated is Jacinda's family tree? I... I mean, not just the way she describes her family. It's actually less complicated than we thought it was last week. Because last week, the story with Jacinda was... Jacinda and her mother and her father, something happened to her father, and then her mother married Marcus Tremaine. God. Then Cecilia, her mother, runs off, and then Marcus marries Lady Tremaine. But actually, it's less complicated. Or more? You know what? I don't know if Lady Tremaine was his wife that he thought was dead when he married Cecilia is less complicated or more complicated. Yeah, like, her family tree's pretty weird. It kind of reminds me a little bit of New Charmed, where some spoilers for New Charmed, but it turns out that the older half-sister is actually full sisters with one of the sister, one of the uh, two sisters who thought they were full sisters, because it turns out that 
the mom cheated on the guy she married uh, with the guy who she got pregnant with and then left. Yeah. And it's like, what a really unnecessarily complicated thing to throw halfway in your first season. But I feel like New Charmed, not to go off on a brief tangent, but I feel like New Charmed is sort of having a hard time with their plot. Well, I haven't watched more than the first couple of episodes of New Charmed, but I understand that they did, like, all of the Charmed plot lines in the first season. And you know what that really reminds me of? What? Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah, except Ultimate Spider-Man was good at it. Well, yeah. I mean, Ultimate Spider-Man was Bendis just hitting all... That was Bendis, right? Yes. Ultimate Spider-Man was just Bendis hitting all of the high points of Spider-Man's history, like, in quick succession. Like... He did a really, really good version of the Clone Saga, one of the most universally despised Spider-Man storylines. I mean, they basically started the Ultimate Universe just so that people wouldn't have to understand the Clone Saga as a barrier to entry to getting into comics. And I'll stand up for Ultimate Spider-Man still. Oh, I like Ultimate Spider-Man. A lot of things from the Ultimate Universe haven't aged great especially the ultimates i mean people might not remember what it was like before the mcu Mm -hmm. or prior to that might not remember what it was like before the first x-men movies but comic books really were a dying industry there's still there's still lots of issues with comics we won't go into all the issues with comics but i really think that comics were saved by the advent of the graphic novel or more precisely, the advent of the trade paperback, and the Ultimate Universe. Both things that lowered the barrier of entry for getting into comics. Yeah, and honestly, the Ultimate Universe is still worth checking out, if only because it is a pitch-perfect photo of basically the early 2000s. It is a really good image into what media was like in a post 9-11 world see i was gonna say not to read the ultimates because i really can't stand the ultimates which is really just the ultimate adventures Hmm. but from that standpoint that's a good point it is a really good snapshot of what was happening in media at that point in time and honestly i feel like the ultimate x-men line has the ultimate x-men line has some pretty serious issues but it is It has what I think is one of the stronger foundational concepts for the X-Men, where they are literally an outreach program that's dedicated to very public charity work. Yeah. Like, it's an X-Men thing where you're actually like, okay, I get what they're doing for mutants other than putting them in spandex and making them fight Apocalypse. I mean, if I was going to point to one Ultimate book to read, I would actually point to Ultimate Spider-Man. Oh, yeah, Ultimate Spider-Man is legitimately good, not just it has good ideas or it is a good snapshot of a particular time in history. But Ultimate X-Men is worth checking out for the first couple of arcs. Honestly, for both of the reasons I said the Ultimate Universe has its upsides in the first place, Uh I wouldn't check out the Ultimates no matter what because it is just... uh, I feel like a lot of the things people dislike about Hank Pym come from the Ultimates take on Hank Pym. Okay, I mean, it doesn't help, 
But, okay, this can't be the Why We Hate Hank Pym cast because we there's not enough bandwidth on the internet. I am a Hank Pym defender. Oh, my God. I'm aware of his many, many issues. His many, 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 many issues. I think he is a good character. I don't think he's a good person. Well, sure, but... I mean, my issue with Hank Pym isn't really even the abuse, which is bad, but just the, like, fragile masculinity. It's exhausting. He created a robot to attack the Avengers so that he could defeat it so that people would like him again. He literally became Giant Man because he felt small next to the other Avengers. No, not next to the other Avengers. Well, because his wife is a more competent superhero than him. That's an important point. His at-the-time girlfriend. couldn't stand his girlfriend having any... He just couldn't stand feeling like his girlfriend was more powerful than him. He was just... He's just the worst, Max. Which, again, Marvel Adventures is the best take on Hank Pym because he starts out literally as a civilian who just builds Jan her crime-fighting equipment. Yeah, I mean, that's that would be the best way to do him so that he's not in competition with his wife and feeling like he always comes up sorry short Mm. and i like how they made him ant-man too in that continuity which is just he did not want to be a superhero circumstances forced him to be a superhero and he's like as long as i'm doing this i'm gonna do this it's mostly him field testing his equipment yeah but like It is the best take on Hank Pym. Hank Pym is also interesting because you can tell a lot about mental health and how comic people understood it with how he is treated over the course of his many years as a character. They've been doing some interesting stuff with him and his bipolar disorder, Uh which is basically where they landed with him in the uh, short-lived Avengers AI, which is also the birthplace of Doombot, who I love dearly as a character not doombots as a group but anyway they did some interesting stuff with his uh, bipolar and manic de- uh, his bipolar disorder and his manic depression there which got picked up in the unstoppable wasp book with his daughter who has a lot of the same issues well and i mean that's the way to deal with hank pym right do a story about other people that aren't hank pym that he's in the background of uh avengers ai is great though it's basically him during a manic episode trying to set things up for when he's not in a manic episode anymore okay i think maybe i have to read um avengers ai yeah and it's really good it has this fun take on the vision where he's changed his power set so he's basically a bunch of nanobots now it got ignored by everyone else who came later well i well i can see not knowing what to do with vision nanobots i i can see that it's just a different take on his powers, but no one knows what to do with the Vision anymore anyway, so. Yeah. Well, no, there was just recently a really good Vision book. I think Tom King's Vision book was good. I think it was an interesting, good story. I could see if you were very invested with Vision as a character being upset by it. Oh, okay. Because it comes right off... Basically, it comes right off of Avengers AI, but it's all, the Vision feels so alone, he needs to build himself another family. When Avengers AI is, basically, Vision helps set up this entire 
AI society, but feels kind of awkward living there, but he likes it there. Like, it's all, Vision has a community if he wants it. Vision is a man between worlds. He feels like he has one foot in each and yet somehow belongs to neither. Well, you know, his weird obsession with creating nuclear families isn't exactly helping that. Yeah, well, I mean, that comes from that comes from his his past, right? I don't know. I feel like it's his attempt to be part of humanity. Oh, you don't think it's because of his relationships in the past? You don't think it's like trying to create a family that won't die or leave him? Oof, God. I just I'm just saying, like the family he has in the vision. I guess it was just a regular series. I keep on wanting to say mini-series or maxi-series, but it was just a series that ran its course. That's his third attempt at this. Like, he had Wanda and Billy and Tommy. That famously did not end up going well. Then he had, like, this weird... He created this race of weird synthetic android things with this robot named Eve, and they all went to live on Counter-Earth, and... I swear to God, you could not pay me to care about Counter Earth. <laughs> but, uh. So we should talk about Once Upon a Time. We should talk about Once Upon a Time. So, previously on Once Upon a Time, Victoria Belfry, aka Lady Tremaine, aka Rapunzel, uh, got sent to jail because she was framed for kidnapping uh, Isabel Gardner? Eloise. Eloise Gardner a.k.a. Mother Gothel, who is a young woman and not, you know... Well, that makes sense. She's not She's not a crone because Mother Gothel has access to massive amounts of magic. Mm. Also, it's actually funny, later on in this episode, Rumpelstiltskin questions why she calls herself Mother, since most of the Mother part of Mother Gothel has been removed from her storyline. She did magically have a baby. Yeah, but not until after she was already going by Mother Gothel. I just feel like it was nice that the show called that out and we're like, oh, she's not really a mother anymore, but she's still Mother Gothel. I think it would be neat if she ended up being like the head of an order of witch nuns or something. That would be awesome. Like witch nuns instead of fairy nuns? Yeah. Yes, here for it. You said Victoria was framed. I just want to come back to that. She wasn't framed. It's just that she had imprisoned Eloise Gardner not because she was just a random woman kidnapping girls, but because Eloise Gardner is an evil witch. Yes. Okay, technically she wasn't framed. Technically she was holding this woman hostage against her will. And this whole season, Victoria's goal has been to wake up her daughter Anastasia. And last week we learned that Ivy's goal is also to wake up Anastasia, but just so that she can steal her magic. Fun fact, in Disney canon, Anastasia is the stepdaughter who reforms in the Disney sequels. I thought Drizella was the one who reformed. Nah. Oh, fun fact, in The Descendants, Drizella's daughter is the good daughter. Huh. Yeah. Weird. Or rather, you know, the daughter who joins the Aurora Dawn villain kids and become. To, to rescue Ben in the second. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of stuff going on in Descendants, too. The second movie's... Better than the first. Better than the first, although there's a talking dog in there for no reason. Yeah, I keep blocking that out. I suggest you do the same. Yeah. It's voiced by Bobby Moynihan, who's like the guy you get when you can't get uh, Josh Gad or, you know, Seth Rogen or Jack Black. Jonah Hill. Or Jonah Hill. 
he's like the guy you get when you can't get any of them. No, that, no offense to Bobby Moynihan. That is sadly accurate. I enjoyed Chosen enough. It was his uh, animated show about a white gay rapper. I am completely unaware of this. It was it was cute. I, I watched it was on MTV for like ten seconds. I watched it and I was like, ah, yeah, I get it. It's you know he he does he treats men the way that you know rap stars treat women according to the media. Oh, so, okay. Uh, uh, okay. Ike Barinholtz was in that show. Oh, he's just in everything, isn't he? He is. We haven't been talking about title cards a lot this season. Well, they haven't really been worth it, but this one is awesome. Yeah, this title card is the Once Upon a Time title card, and over it we have the floating lanterns from Tangled. Yeah. I don't know if we mentioned it, but uh, in the Seattle season, the Once Upon a Time title card has had the uh, space needle in the background of the trees how else would you know it was seattle they didn't always have storybrook in the background yeah because storybrook is always storybrook uh we open on a cart not having a cart accident but instead riding ramshackle through the rain it's very alliterative yes and the cart stops we see that there is a man who is clearly sick and two girls in the back of the cart. And when it stops, the man, whose name is Marcus, says, Rapunzel, why did you stop? And now we see that Rapunzel is the one driving the cart. And she says, I found something for us to eat. Already, I'm loving this. Because this is revolutionary. Because it's not about an angry pregnant woman forcing her husband to steal herbs from a uh, witch's garden more specifically this is a disney princess who's already a mother Hmm. that's not a thing that happens it's not mothers mothers are not done well by disney i think brave is the best mothers come out of disney like having a story arc and stuff Mm -hmm. yeah character development not being dead at the beginning of the story oh god disney does love to kill its mothers Anyway, Rapunzel stopped the cart because she saw something for them to eat. She saw a garden. She is going to leave her family in the cart while she goes and gets some food from the garden. And she holds up her lantern and tells them that they'll know where she is. They'll always be able to find her because she'll be holding the lantern. And then she tells them, for my family, I will always find a way. Arc words that are similar, but legally distinct from... I will always find you. Yes, she she changed them just enough to not get sued. Although she'd probably get sued. Golden Films got sued a lot for ripping off Disney. But uh, I believe they're also lighting a lantern at the caravan. Yeah, there's there's one lantern that's already hung up on the cart, and she's taking the other one with her. So, you know, there's like a connection between the lanterns. Marcus is starving to death or sick? or I think he's sick. I don't think he's starving to death. I just think he's sick. Also, Rapunzel throws out the bit of exposition that he's a brilliant tailor, so she knows he'll take care of the family once he's healthy and can be a brilliant tailor again. Mm. So she goes to pick some food from the garden when Mother Gothel shows up being her own goddamn scarecrow. Yeah, young Gothel, young Mother Gothel, which, as you said, she's always young. I'm just distinguishing here because she looks like she just came out of a Hot Topic. Hmm. But young Gothel is here in her becloaked brilliance. 
Gideon could not pull off a hooded cloak, Gothel can. Yeah, take notes, Gideon. She gets all goth witchy at Rapunzel, who is stealing her radishes. And Rapunzel, of course, begs for her mercy because she just needed food to feed her family and that's not a crime, is it? Which, Rapunzel, that's not an apology. Yeah, it really isn't. She starts off good. She's like, I'm sorry I'm taking your vegetables, but I'm not sorry because my family's starving, so suck it. I know you're upset that I'm stealing from you, and I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm sorry you're interpreting my stealing as a slight against you. I mean, if we're going to attack people for stealing, how are we even going to know what the line is? So, Gothel's weirdly cool with this. She's like, you know, normally when people come to my tower and try to steal stuff from me, it's my magical stuff, because... I'm a super powerful witch, by the way, I'm a super powerful witch, but it seems like you're not an asshole. And Rapunzel's like, really? You, you heard what I said, right? And Gothel's like, shh, shh, It turns out you can steal bread to uh, feed your starving family. Moral quandary solved. It's really weird here because Gothel is assuming that Rapunzel knew that there was magic to be had and instead chose to only steal what she needed and not the more obvious explanation that she was stealing from a random garden and didn't know it belonged to a witch. Everyone's heard of Gothel. She's very, very full of herself. Do you even know who I am? Do you know how many followers I have on Instagram? It's Instagram for witches. Rapunzel says that, of course, she's going to steal because she would do anything for her family. And Mother Gothel asks her, you know, in fact, what will she do for her family to be well off and happy and safe and healthy? And Rapunzel tells her, I will do anything. And Gothel says, I can work with that. She says, anything is something I can work with, which is a fun turn of phrase. Yes. And then she immediately throws a powder made out of those magical petals onto Rapunzel, who is ensnared in vines that turn into a giant tower. It is really cool. Like, I don't know if they got a budget increase or something. By the way, this has all been horror movie lighting, horror movie angles, and it has worked so well. I think anytime you get ensnared by plants, there's a horror movie element to it. Also, these plants that ensnare her, they wrap around her wrists and will leave permanent scars. There's lots of uh, shooting up from under, lots of that, and lots of twirling camera. Yes. Rapunzel sees that she is now in a tower high up with no way out, and she stares out the window and the camera pans back and the camera pans back so that we can see the whole tower in the middle of the woods as it is in the movie Tangled. It actually looks exactly like the tower from the movie Tangled. I know we've seen it before, but in this show, but just reminding you, it looks exactly like the animated version. And the camera zooms out in such a way that I would think that this would be a cut to commercial or a cut to credit. But instead, Mother Gothel's voice tells Rapunzel there's no way out, and the camera, like, zooms back into the tower. It's really cool. It, it, th it goes to a wide shot, and then it zooms back in, and Gothel's just behind Rapunzel, because if you're going to appear magically in a room, you should do it behind someone. But it's a really good way to use the audience's expectations of the way that an episode is cut to throw them off balance. Hmm. And in fact, 
Rapunzel says, you know, her family will find her and she starts shouting out the window for Marcus, Drizella, Anastasia. And I should say here that although we were spoiled for Victoria being Rapunzel, her shouting for Anastasia and Drizella is, of course, the moment where, as the audience, we would have found out she was Rapunzel. Yes. Before we saw she had two small children, but are they twins? No, I think they're like a year apart. Yeah, they do talk about uh, Drizella as being younger than Anastasia. But... Oh, no, I'm sorry. They are definitely not the same age because later on in the episode, Marcus is going to say that Drizella was so young when Rapunzel left. But they look around the same age every time we see them later. I'm so bad at judging ages, and that goes doubly so for children. So I just, you know, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but when I worked at a movie theater, we were told to be very strict about carding for Fifty Shades when it was in the theater to make sure that no one under 17 bought a ticket for the movie. Wow, they might have seen something not at all erotic. I know. I know. Anyway. Uh, like I said, I'm very bad at checking ages. I asked for an ID of someone who turned out to be, like, 27. Compliment. Uh, maybe. I mean, it's a compliment if you're buying liquor and you're under 21. I don't know if it's a compliment if I think you're literally a child when you're trying to buy a ticket. Point. Point is, I'm bad at telling ages. I was just like, oh, I'm sorry, there's a glare on the glass on the box office window. But no, I just, I'm, I just can't tell. So we cut to Victoria in jail looking at her tower scars. Yeah, the ones that the vines left when they wrapped around her arms. Drizella enters the room, Ivy, in a real weird outfit. Oh, I liked her outfit. She's wearing a floral skirt and a black top. It's unusual to have a pattern on the skirt and not on the top, but that's what she's doing. And I like that it's floral because we literally just saw Rapunzel be ensnared in vines and now Ivy... Yeah. Ivy, Ivy is showing up in a floral skirt. Yeah, I guess. It's a high-waisted skirt with a black top, and she's got this long black sweater thing over it. She's Open got a sweater. short skirt and a long oh. jacket, Max. Oh, God. Yes, she does. I don't know. I just... the I don't like the skirt. It looks not good. You know who it would look good on? Regina. I don't know. It's a jewel tone. It's a lot of jewel tones. Eh. It's a lot of skirt. It is a lot of skirt. Speaking of sartorial choices, she tells Victoria that she doesn't pull off orange as well as the women on that Netflix show. And I'm sorry, Ivy, have you actually watched the show? Because while it is called Orange is the New Black, inmates wear beige. Yeah, well... Orange is the color you wear when you're first sent to prison, and it identifies you as new to the prison. That's why it's, like, a dangerous color to be wearing once you've been there for, like, a few days. They switch you over to a tan prison jumpsuit. I just, you know, don't, don't try to be cute if you don't know what you're talking about, Ivy. Ivy doesn't have time to watch Netflix. She's too busy posing for uncomfortable Instagram photos with very, very ill-known authors. I guess. So, geez, it looks like she's wearing no pants when she sits down on that chair. Short skirt and a long jacket. Yeah, the skirt rides up so it just looks like she's wearing the jacket and nothing else. Yeah, that's what it looks like. That's, that's why guys are into that look. Mm. So, she's come to be like, 
so mother you're gonna tell me where the corpse is or what's going on here yes she wants the corpse of her sister as we said in the recap section so that she can suck out her sister's magic and she informs victoria that victoria has no bargaining position so she needs to tell her what she needs and victoria's like no fuck you i don't need you i don't care no it's pretty great ivy's like i don't well fine fuck you too i don't need you i've got gothel helping me and it's victoria's turn to go while doing the jerk off motion with her hand yeah victoria is really taunting her in a way by the way that i'm gonna start to understand later in this episode she taunts ivy for needing a mother figure and it's like just watching this, I'm like, bitch, you were her mother figure. You were supposed to take care of her. But, you know, when we see the flashback, fuck Ivy. Really? I'm... Yeah, really. I get where Ivy's coming from, especially in the flashback. Mm, we'll see. We'll see when we get there if I can talk you around to my position. All right. So we cut from Ivy going, fine, I don't need you. I'll have Gothel help me find her. And I and Victoria being like, yeah, okay, good luck with that. We cut from that to Jacinda's living room with Lucy because she has custody of Lucy again. Yay, I guess. I mean, definitely yay. She has custody back, I guess. Because you remember, last episode, it cut from her finally working up the nerve to talk to Lucy's biological father, Nick, to having Lucy back, and we didn't see anything in the middle. Yep, no court, no nothing. Speaking of no court, that'll come up again later this episode. Yep. Lucy says now that everything's settled down, they should invite Henry over. And Jacinda's like, okay, we'll talk about that later. And she sends Lucy out of the room so Sabine can come in and ask her own questions about Henry. Sabine is wearing a gigantic oversized gray sweater that I love. I like that she's wearing that and she's wearing a pink button-up shirt that's open and then she's wearing a white shirt under it. It's a lot going on there. It must be cold and they probably can't afford to keep the heat on. Mm. So she's like, so are you going to bang Henry? I know you went to the bar to talk to him about maybe starting to bang now that you got Lucy back. And she's like... He went on a road trip with Ronnie to try to figure stuff out. I'll deal with it when he gets back. You know, Henry and Ronnie are not in this episode. Not even a little bit. It's weird, isn't it? It is weird. I'm assuming next episode is going to be basically all them. That's probably true. And I do want to see Ronnie and Henry, like no doubt. But I'm worried that next week is going to be what they were up to while this episode was happening, which means we're actually going to have to wait a full week to find out what happens with the cliffhanger from the end of this episode. Oh, I definitely assumed that's what's going to happen. Oh, boo. So, uh, Rumple is meeting with Victoria in jail, and he's like, So, look at the fancy bracelets I got you. Get it? They're handcuffs. They're handcuffs because you're in jail. You're in jail now. And Victoria tells him that she only agreed to see Ivy because she knew that he would be the cop who would be handling that visit which is weird because why that should be like some low-level uniformed officer not this detective but so he's like she tells him i need your help finding my daughter and he's like she's outside and victoria says that one i haven't enjoyed her since she was four yep so 
are we assuming she was four when the whole rapunzel thing went down i i assume she was younger than that no that makes sense let's go with that she was four years old in the cart let's go with that which would make anastasia like like six five six yeah yeah no and that's that's a good age difference because it's a small age difference but it's the kind of age difference where Drizella will have completely forgotten about Rapunzel and Anastasia will still be pining for her and, like, you know, keeping the lantern lit. Yeah. Dr- as it were. As it were. Victoria tells Rumple that she needs his help, but she knows his skill set always comes with a price. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I am just Weaver, a lowly detective at this Seattle's police department. And she's like, Jesus fucking Christ, we did this with, you just did this with Regina, you're not doing it with me, I was the big bad at the beginning of this season, I know you're Rumpelstiltskin, help me out, dickbag. He keeps it going for a long time, by the way, and only finally drops it when she mentions the dagger. Because she she lists all of the stuff, she's like, I know about you, I know about Belle, and he's like, I don't know what you're talking about, and she's like, I know about the fucking dagger, and he's like, ugh. Of all those things, it's weird that the dagger is what broke him. Yeah, I I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I have to think, because remember, he, it's not like the dagger's lost to him, we know he knows where it is, it's in the evidence locker, which I wish we spent more time in, maybe we will in the next few episodes, but... The evidence locker is this season's equivalent to Rumple's shop, where it's just filled with all of the magical items from Storybrooke. Hook's Hook is it. From the Enchanted Forest. Yes, Hook's Hook is in it, for example. It is. But he knows where the dagger is, but I think he has... Um, It's not like it can control him still in the world of de minimis magic. That's true, but I think there's something else going on. We'll see later in the episode he was weird with it with Sabine, so... Well, we know he's looking for the guardian who can help sever his bond with blah blah, destroy the Dark One forever, blah. Right. You think he's looking for her, him, whoever? I don't know, but I I assume that the reason he's looking for the guardian is not just so that he can kill the Dark One... This is turning into a real Hans Christian Andersen story, by the way. He's looking for the Guardian not just for the objective good of getting rid of the Dark One, but so that he can go to heaven and be with Belle. Yeah, that is real Hans Christian Andersen. But yes, uh, he agrees to help her because she's going to help him find the Guardian. Yes, uh, Rapunzel indicates that she might have some knowledge about this Guardian. Rapunzel, Tremaine, Victoria, Belfry. Rapunzel, Victoria, Belfry, Tremaine. Speaking of, we cut back to Rapunzel in her tower, and her hair has grown soups long, so we know it's been many, many years. Yes, it's grown incredibly long, which is just what she was waiting for. I don't think she was waiting for that. I think she looks out the window and she sees the lanterns, which presumably they've been doing for years, but I think this might be the first time she's actually seen them. Yeah, they're floating lanterns. Like in Tangled. Really? I I assumed that she'd been growing her hair out for this purpose. Oh, it's 
struck me that this is the first time she saw the lanterns and that as soon as she saw them, it occurred to her that she could use her hair as a rope to get out of the tower. Because that's what she does. She Yes, she uses the she uses the hair as a rope to get out of the tower. And by the way, she cuts it off immediately so that she can use it as a rope, which I point out only because not cutting the hair was such a thing entangled and mm. in the Rapunzel story. But here she's like, oh, great. I'll just cut off this hair and braid it into a rope. Which she does and handily escapes from the tower. Honestly, it's disappointingly easy to break out of that tower. That's why I assume she was waiting for it to grow long enough, because otherwise it seems weird that she's just like, oh, this is a thing I can do, I guess. I guess. So we got from that to Victoria leaving the police station, much to the shock of Hook, who is like, you kidnapped that girl. That girl I've spent the past 10 years looking for. How the fuck are you out of jail? And Victoria's response. Lovely morning, detective. How are you out of jail? In a word, determination. I didn't get to be who I am sitting around waiting for others to improve my odds. And I didn't ask for a TED talk. I asked how you managed to sidestep your charges. God, what would her TED talk be? I don't know. I Build, mean, building your own towers. Abandoning your fan... Wait, how to... No, her TED Talk would be how to have it all. How I managed to become an evil CEO while being a mother. God. So The answer is, I will do anything for my family, including becoming a super evil CEO. It's just a snake eating its own tail there. Yes, it is. Like so, all TED Talks point so uh it turns out rumple got her out because when hook rescued ms gardener uh he did it without a warrant and hook's like but extenuating circumstance like that's a thing yeah that's a thing none of that makes any sense but you know what we also don't see a courtroom where this happened rumple's like well the judge didn't think you had a good enough reason to go in there and it's like... He found a kidnapped girl. Also, here's the thing about not having a warrant. If I can get a little legal here. Mm-hmm. If you obtain evidence fraudulently... Fruit of the poisonous tree. Exactly. We, we know that. They actually use that as a, as a line in this episode. But the fruit of the poisonous tree would not be... You freed a girl, and now we can't use her testimony because you only freed her by going into a place without a warrant. (laughs) Eloise Gardner is not the poisonous fruit. She's a human being who can testify that she was held prisoner for 10 years. This is all so much nonsense, but... And, and normally it's the exact kind of nonsense that would annoy me, but it does not here. You know why? Why? There are no judges. There's no courthouse. Rumple's like, the judge didn't buy that argument. What judge? No judges. <sighs> That's Hyperion Heights, baby. So Victoria is out in the world and Rumple's like, okay, where's Anastasia? And, uh, and Victoria's like, well, I'm not going to her until I have the means to wake her. Dun, dun, dun. And then we smash cut to Victoria arriving at Jacinda's apartment. And 
what a weird scene this is. What a weird, awkward scene this is. You know, there's a trope. I associate it with anime for some reason, but it shows up in a lot of stuff. Where a big bad from a previous season will join the good guys and it's very awkward for a short period of time and then they just kind of move past it even though this person is responsible for some pretty horrible things done directly to the main cast well i mean that's what happened with regina in og once upon a time yeah but there were like seasons before they felt comfortable with regina it's true. I mean, the only the thing about this scene is, as awkward as it is, it works really nicely with a Gothel scene we're going to get later. She tells Jacinda that when she demanded custody of Lucy, she was just expecting Jacinda to fight. And the fact that Jacinda didn't fight told Victoria that she wasn't ready to be a mother. And the fact that she's fighting now tells Victoria that she is ready to be a mother. So basically, Victoria's going to stop trying to get custody of Lucy. All right, that's okay. I mean, she also gives Jacinda some paperwork that Nick will later confirm reinstates custody to Jacinda. But but I'm pretty sure that a judge did that last week. Although, I don't know, because there are no judges. Also, they're all just suddenly cool with Victoria now. She, you know she burned down your last place of employment while you were there. No, no, they don't know that was Victoria. They assumed it was Victoria. That's true. They I'm... talked about how they're like, okay, Victoria's fingerprints are all over this. Yeah, I guess that's true. And then Sabine's like, but we didn't, Sabine was like, but we didn't see her there. And it's like, yeah, obviously not literally her fingerprint. She hired someone. I mean, maybe this is, I, I mean, maybe they're all starting to question themselves and think, oh, wait, maybe we misjudged her. She charged $550 for a dance recital just so you couldn't see Lucy perform. That was super bitchy. Like... I love that that's your sticking point, that that's the thing that you keep coming back to. It's such a petty asshole move. Like, it's not, uh, I wanted to see if you would prove yourself by standing up to me by doing that. That's true. So after the scene, we're back in fairytale land, where newly freed from the tower rapunzel is following the lanterns to their source which is two girls who okay so entangled Mm -hmm. the whole village releases lanterns every year to mourn the lost princess so it makes sense that there are like hundreds of them but here, it's just two little girls releasing hundreds of lanterns. It is one little girl, because Drizella comes over and she's like, hey, they're serving dinner inside. Do you want to come in and get some? So it's just been Anastasia setting off these lanterns. One little girl. We see her doing it pretty slowly, but she has to be booking it with how many are in the sky. There are so many lanterns. Drizella tells Anastasia who I should say is sometimes called Anastasia and sometimes called Anastasia, depending on who's talking about her. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, for people out there. Do you think she's going to turn out to be Disney Princess Anastasia? I was about to say, I was about to say she's going to be played by Meg Ryan in a very, very distracting way. Meg Ryan was the wrong choice for that casting. What a weird choice. Oh, I mean, they know that I'm kidding, right? That... Uh, Anastasia is not a Disney princess. They, she is a Bluth princess. They know that I know that, right? 
I, I would hope so, but, you know, now she's part of the Pantheon, because... Oh, let's not even talk about, like, media consolidation, because I'll get very upset. Mm. Drizella tells Anastasia that it's been six years since Rapunzel went missing, so if we assume she was four and Anastasia was six when that happened, that means that Drizella is ten now and Anastasia is twelve. Actually, they both look a little older than that. Yeah. I know. Whatever. They're ages. Whatever. Yeah, they both look like teenagers. Very young teenagers. They look like tweens. They look. They both look like 13 to me. Technically a teen. You are technically correct. The best kind of correct. But Drizelle's like, what? Look, stop standing out here in the cold. Come in and have food with the rest of the family. And, and, and Anastasia's like, I know I've been doing this every year for six years, but I just feel like this is the year that she's going to walk up behind me and be like, I'm home. And then that happens. And Anastasia is thrilled. Drizella understandably has some conflict here. She's like... I mean, uh... is that understandable? Marcus comes out and is like, Oh my god, you're back! I looked for you for like two weeks before I stopped looking and oh, this is awkward. He says, I found your tattered cloak... And, uh, and Rapunzel's like, oh, it was a trick. A witch had me in a tower. And I'm like, how is it a trick? Oh, I that's mean, so I- funny that you said that because I had the opposite thought. Well, first of all, the, the cloak was a trick. Like, we didn't see her lose the cloak or anything like that. So, Were they Gothel- supposed to assume she was eaten by animals or something? Yeah, and Gothel clearly set it out there so that they would think that. Like, we didn't see her drop it or anything. But she says that she made a deal with the witch where they would be happy and taken care of, and in exchange, she would be locked in a tower, which makes it sound a lot more like she made a choice than actually happened. Yeah. Really, a witch tricked her into making a deal where she got locked in a tower. But that is the only thing that gives me any sympathy for the way Drizella and Marcus behave in the next few scenes because it does make it sound like she chose to stay. But all that sympathy disappears because surely she told them the whole story at some point. I don't know. We don't see any evidence that she did. What happens with Marcus is really fucked up because rapunzel runs up and she's touching his face and she's like i'm so glad that i can be with you and we can be a family now just you know you and me and the two girls and no other additional people and then young cinderella comes out and is like hey dad who's this and he's like awkward yeah he's like hey meet my stepdaughter and my fancy new wife yeah, and then this woman comes out looking all like the Baroness. From G.I. Joe? No, from Sound of Music. Oh, okay, that makes way more sense. Look, she's barely wearing a leather cat suit at all. Where are the glasses? But she does look... Yes, she looks gorgeous, and... I'm getting some real shades of Ava here. I was going to say she looks rich in a way I can't put my finger on, since clearly at this point they are all rich. But yes, very Ava, except I will point out, she does not do a single thing that makes us hate her as much as we hated Ava. None of that, oh, you spilled flour on my shoes nonsense. 
she's just walking into a very, very awkward situation. Yes, an awkward situation where it turns out that Marcus waited like a week, two weeks, and then was like, well, she's gone. I guess I'll marry this rich lady. This is another thing where I'm like, I feel like this is mostly on the dude. It's 100% on the dude. I mean, to be fair, I don't blame him for getting remarried, especially because we know that he was both very poor and clearly could not take care of himself. So he married this rich woman to take care of him. Okay, fine, whatever. But he does not... Handle the situation well? No. And you know what? I don't know the right way to handle this situation. It's an awkward situation, but I will say... He does it wrong. <laughs> so we cut from that awkward reunion to Gothel and Ivy in a car where Gothel is weirdly into the air freshener because it's tree shaped. She's like, how come you separate yourself from nature only to recreate it with this strange scented wooden apparition? And... Ivy's like, it's a fucking air freshener. Get over it. They're they're in a car. They're stalking. Uh, they're stalking Victoria to try to find where Anastasia could possibly be. Yeah, uh, badly, by the way. But we'll get to that. So Rapunzel is pouring tea out for her two daughters back in the flashback, and. I don't know what the situation is supposed to be here. Rapunzel is clearly living in a little house, the kind of house set aside for servants, on the property of the manor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is she, like, their servant now? Because that's really how it comes off for the rest of the episode. In a later scene, she is serving them at a party. At Drizella's birthday party, actually, shades of Jacinda having to serve at Lucy's recital in order mm. to be there. Yeah. So, yeah, it very much appears to me that Marcus's solution was to stay married to the new wife and make the old wife one of his servants. It's not great. It's pretty gross. Yeah. So, But let's not gloss over what's going on with her daughters either, which is that Anastasia is trying really hard to reconnect with her mother, and Drizella is having none of it. Drizella is, like, pissed at Rapunzel. Which, you don't see that? I, I could see that. Well, only if, as I said, she never explained that she didn't mean to get locked in a tower. I mean, she's... She's not at an age where girls are great to the women in their lives. Yeah. And, like, she's not really... I can imagine her not really seeing the, I did this for you, which, again, she didn't. It was something that happened to her. Well, but that's what I mean. Like, if she never explains that completely, then, okay, maybe I can see being mad at her, but... I have to assume at some point she explained, I was trying to get radishes for your dying father when a witch locked me in a tower. I mean, what she's seeing here is a woman she barely, if at all, remembers trying to usurp the life she has with her dad and her two sisters, all of whom she seems on pretty good terms with, and a new mom who we don't really get much of her relationship with her, but 
I'd imagine she would be much closer with. Yes, we do see her call her mother. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, okay, I mean, I'll give Drizella, well, you know, I'll give Drizella more of a pass than I'll give Marcus. Like, yes, I'm putting this all in the feet of Marcus. It's sort of like if... Well, it's like when, it's like those stories about war widows whose husbands come back and it turns out that they, you know, thought their husband was dead for the last 10 years and then married their husband's brother. I I was going to say it's more like if your parents broke up when you were really young and one of your parents got remarried and you basically grew up with this one person who was your parent... And then your bio parent decided to come back into your life many years later. Well, so the reason this is different is because her parent didn't leave her. She thought her mother was dead. So I have to think that on some level she grew up being told about her mother who died trying to save her father. And then it turns out her mother's not really dead and now she's back and she's angry at her. I guess I can see that anger, but... It's not the same as a divorced parent coming back. This is a person assumed dead who it turns out was just imprisoned and is now, and did everything they could to escape and get back to you. Did she? It was so easy to get out of that tower. It was really easy to get out, but they don't have to know how easy it was. I feel like we don't really have enough context, but I do legitimately sympathize with Drizella's emotions on this. It is not an emotionally simple time of life, and this is a lot of baggage to jump on a very unprepared doorstep. Okay. I, on the other hand, sympathize with Victoria deciding to poison everyone and burn it all the fuck down. She's also legitimate. So, Marcus comes back to interrupt their tea time and basically send the girls back to the manor so that he can have a talk with Rapunzel. Yes, uh, Drizella very, very blatantly ditches this party as fast as she can as soon as the dad shows up she's like daddy get me out of here i'm giving my i want to leave the party sign i'm tugging my ear when they leave rapunzel's like oh my goodness i will never have a good relationship with my daughters again and marcus is like oh don't be silly anastasia loves you fair Then he gives Rapunzel the cloak, her old cloak, that apparently he found tattered, and that's how he knew she was dead. He sewed it back up and held on to it for all these years. Because he still loves her, but not enough to, you know, do something that isn't having her be a servant in his house. I mean, I see how that's an awkward situation. Like, he wouldn't necessarily leave Cecilia, but also... Just double life it, dude. Come on. Let her live in the main house. I mean, as with most relationship problems, polyamory does seem to be the answer, but don't keep her as a... It's so bad. It's... It's so bad. It's so very bad. Especially because once he puts the cloak back on Rapunzel's shoulders, she's like, oh my goodness, I feel all of these emotions. I feel like you really love me. I feel like this is you letting me know that you still love me. And he's like, but I also love my other wife. Gotta go. And then books it. I think it's an interesting point where she's like, do you still love me? Do you still love our family? And he's like, yes, but I also love Ella and Cecilia. I think it's interesting that he puts Ella first He's establishing that he does have a new family that he also feels responsible for. 
And that's fine. And we know from Ella telling the story last week that he was an important fatherly figure in her life. She considers him her father. Yes. That's why he she didn't refer to him as stepfather until this plot came up. Not because the writers didn't think of it, but because, you know, he was her real father. So after he books it, Gothel shows up to be like, wow, this sucks for you, doesn't it? Yeah, she's like, I admire your resourcefulness in escaping. You know what? I'm not going to turn you into a dog or a chair or a... Into the woods. I'll let him have the ramp. He had lots to spare, but... You know, she doesn't say the third thing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so she's not going to punish her, but what she's going to do is give her a gift of sorts. Yes, the gift of temptation. She gives her uh, the mushroom that if you put a drop of its mushroom juice into someone's drink, then... They can't be around the people they love the most or their heart will kerplode. Yeah, the poisoned heart potion. Yeah. The... I do love how, uh, she... How Rapunzel immediately throws the mushroom into the fire and Gothel's like, Magic gift, motherfucker. Not how that works. Yeah, it immediately reappears on the mantelpiece. And she turns to look at it and then she turns back to Gothel and Gothel's gone. She Batmaned out. <laughs> So, back in the real world, Jack, Nick, is going over Victoria Belfry's unchild-having contract. Yeah, I mean, we needed him to show up because he is a lawyer, for whatever lawyer means in this world with no courthouses and no judges. He already got her custody back last episode. I Maybe they just wanted to remind us how cute he is, and that Victoria has an option other than Henry. And Jacinda's like, let me thank you for doing this with my tongue. And then she does just that. And then she's like, oh, oh, this, nope, 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 bad, nope, not, 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 uh, not, nope, not doing this. And he's like, oh, okay. He, he's a gentleman. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you wanted to kiss. I am so sorry. And she's like, no, no, I did want to kiss, but I wanted to kiss to make sure that I should fuck Henry. And he's like, okay, that doesn't seem particularly kind to me and my emotions, but fine. She does tell him that she wants him to stay in Lucy's life so that we know that he will stay in the show and continue to be a complication. But Jacinda is just too enraptured when she catches sight of the mixtape that Henry made her. Yeah, it's kind of weird because, you know, Nick just sort of leaves the apartment, which I guess it would have been weird for him to stick around after that. Yeah, he, yeah. He just kind of leaves and she walks over and she picks up the mixtape and she does a little Cinderella twirl. Well, she has to. You know why? Why? Because it's the year of our Lord, 2019, and she doesn't have anything to play it on. <laughs> She's just going to twirl faster and faster until the tape starts playing. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's the old Super Friends rule. You can solve any problem by spinning fast enough. That sounds right. Isn't that also the Sailor Moon rule? Oh, no, that's, you can solve any uh, problem with stock footage. Oh, okay. Down in the evidence locker, Hook is doing some investigating. And I actually really like this. This is smart. He gets to the evidence locker, and there's a 
part where you have to put in your code to open it. And Hook doesn't want to put in his code and have people be able to look back and see that he went into the evidence locker. So instead, he pulls the fire alarm, which causes the door to open because I guess it's a safety feature. Yeah, you don't want anyone to get locked in there. Although I feel like he's probably only got a couple of minutes now before people find him. But also, aren't there security cameras? Uh, maybe the, maybe he's not as bright as I just said he was. But he doesn't enter the code. He pulls the security alarm and goes into the evidence locker. Which is legit, just like Gold Shop. There's even a shrink-wrapped gramophone. And also Hook's Hook. And also Hook's Hook. Which he looks at and is like, I'm feeling something I haven't felt in so long. He starts flipping open. He sees that there's pictures of Belfry and ivy and that guy that got murdered and him yes weaver rumpelstiltskin has been keeping files on all of these people including sabine by the way Mm. and all of the files handily have photographs paper clipped to them so that we can see who they are without him even having to open the folder and us having to read the names on them Mm. And all of the pictures are like these sexy, candid shots. They are. It's all over the shoulder, glowering or pouting. or. It's like, they're all like staged candids. I, I would like to hire the uh, photography service that just stalks you and takes pictures at you when you're at your best casually. Okay, which raises the question, who did Weaver hire to take these pictures? Maybe photography is one of the dark one powers. It must be. So Sabine is still getting set up for her food truck. Which is called Rollin' Bayou. Oh my god. I love that. Is she going to? Oh my god, she could. She could what? It's like, is she going to be selling them in iZombie? Well, iZombie does take place in Seattle, but are the universes linked? Well, I don't think they are. There's a lot of actor overlap, but I'm just saying, I think that pun is powerful enough to get to help her break through the multiversal barrier and sell beignets in the world of iZombie. Yeah, Roland Bayou is definitely a meat cute level pun. I was thinking Fillmore Graves. Oh, Jesus Christ. Well, I mean, let's not forget Live More. Li- yeah, Live More, right off the bat. Oh my God, that show. I love that show so much. It's so good. So, uh, Rogers has come to ask Sabine what... The worst, the worst cover I have ever heard in my entire life. Hook is like, hey, I wanted to ask you about the, about the Mr. Cluck's burning down case. And she's like, I literally just talked to Weaver about this yesterday. And Hook's like, yeah, but it's Weaver's day off. So just tell me what you told him so I don't have to call him in. God. And she's like, he didn't really ask me much. He just held this weird knife in front of me and is like, does this look familiar to you? Do you feel like you have some destiny related to this magic knife? I mean, regular knife that was somehow involved in this arson. Yeah. Yeah. And then she draws a little picture of the dagger for him. And uh, she's like, so what's this about? And Hook's like, uh. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> Basically, that's Hook's uh, role this whole episode. So Victoria Belfry has brought Rumple to the mausoleum. 
Yeah, it's a city mausoleum. It's like in a, it's like part of a city block, but it's labeled mausoleum, and that is in fact what it is on the inside. It's just like if you were walking down the street and it's like Starbucks, 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 mausoleum, Starbucks, because Seattle. Right, I gotcha. It's weird. It's weird. As they're heading into the mausoleum, by the way, Weaver's like, um, you know that Ivy and Gothel have been following us all day, right? She's like, yeah, I know. They're terrible at this. So she has Rumple break open a tombstone and Rumple's like, there's just a bag in there. And she's like, obviously my daughter's not here, fuck nuts. Yeah, he's like, I thought it was going to be a potty. And she's like, no, it's my Birkin bag. I don't know if it's actually a Birkin. It looks like a Birkin. She's like, no, I what I have here is everything I need to reunite with my daughter. And he's like, you have a daughter outside? And she's like, yeah, not really. And he goes off on the speechy speech about how he had a son whose name was Balefire, and he resented him, and their relationship was bad, but then they reconnected, but then he died, and he wished that they... Rumple says that he never stopped trying to make things right with Balefire as, like, a reason that she should try to make things right with Ivy, and she's like, yeah, well, it's not going to turn out well for me. And he's like, it didn't turn out well for me either. But you should still do it for reasons. Like, look, we've all been on the disappointing parent shit kid tram. Like, Now, to be fair, Neil did nothing wrong. Yes, Neil did nothing wrong. Discounting the one episode with New Bay, which we discount. Do. Yes, which we do. That is non-canon. So he's like, look, just get over your shit with your daughter. And she's like, it's not the same situation. Your kid had a good reason for abandoning you. She's like, maybe you should have just had a second kid and had a good relationship with him. And Weaver's like, don't get me started on Gideon. But she is very, very determined to not reunite with Ivy, Drizella. But now that she has what she needs to wake up her daughter, Rumple wants to know what she knows about the Guardian. And Victoria is like, um, I'll tell you when Anastasia's awake. Bye! So we cut to Drizella having a birthday party back in pasty pastimes, where Rapunzel is legit a maid now. Yeah, she's working as a servant at the party. I am so confused as to why anyone thought this was an acceptable way to handle the situation. And Cecilia comes up to her and is like, oh, I'm I'm glad you're working today, but you shouldn't be working today. It's your daughter's birthday. You should take the day off, even though you are really, really, really good at being a servant. Which is where I'm like, okay, shades of Ava here. Uh, I thought that she was legitimately trying to be nice, She says, you make the best lemonade north of the bayou, which is like letting us know that it's okay. This takes place in the same fake fairy tale Louisiana that Tiana lives in. All right. I I genuinely read Cecilia as trying to be nice. But Marcus, Marcus, on the other hand, holy shit. Okay, so the girls... Drizella and Anastasia and Ella are all, like, looking at Drizella, opening her presents and being happy and kids and whatever. And sisters, I guess. And Marcus walks up and is like, look at how well they get along. We should take our cue from them and you should stop being a bitch to Cecilia. 
Yeah, it's... What the fuck, Marcus? Marcus is the goddamn worst. And on this show, that is saying something. And, and Rapunzel's like, my daughters don't see me as their mother. I mean, we conveniently cut right to Drizella opening a gift, which is a violin. This might be important later. Mm. And saying to Cecilia, oh, thank you, mother. I don't think it's pointed. You're making it sound pointed. No, no, the, I'm sorry. The editor is making it pointed for us. Drizella is just completely unaware of Rapunzel. Yes. Uh, she, Rapunzel brings up, she's like, I got her a gift and she didn't even open it. And then it hard cuts to, you know, Drizella being, thank you, mother, for this violin. Which, honestly, I think this speaks to a reason why uh, Ivy might not be such a huge Victoria fan. Because she considers Cecilia her mother, and we are going to hard cut from this to Rapunzel getting the mushroom and poisoning Cecilia's drink. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I really get where Drizelle is coming from here. I guess. But Rapunzel decided it's time to poison a bitch. Yes. So, back in the real world, uh, Ivy is coming down to the mausoleum. Ivy and... Gothel. Who, by the way, is dressed like Phoebe from Friends. Yeah. Season one, Phoebe. Yeah, she's got like a long, flowery dress. It's weird. Rumpel says to her, piece of advice. Next time you want to tail someone, learn how to do it better first. That is terrible advice. That is Be ba- better at it. Have you tried not sucking? I kind of... I, this is the first moment in the new series where I've really, really loved Rumple. So, Rumple asks for a moment alone with Mother Gothel, and Mother Gothel's like, thank you, that one talks too much. And then Rumple brings up the thing I alluded to earlier. He's like, um, in the Once Upon a Time plot, there's not a weird thing about you stealing babies, so why are you still going by Mother Gothel? He even brings up the fact he's like, you're not really a mom, and you're not a nun. You're certainly no nun. I'm like, there are lots of different kinds of nuns, Rumple. But Mother Gothel, Mother Gothel tells him that she's kind of like a mother because she takes care of people's needs, and that's maternal, and also she'd love to take care of his needs. It's gross. Gross, Gothel. It's gross and weird. Although, I mean... Is she trying to pull a Cruella James thing here? James calls me mummy in bed. Gross. So gross. But not inaccurate. But then Mother Gothel turns to tormenting him by mentioning how, you know, Belle is dead. Belle is dead and he's going to go to hell when he dies and never see her again. Knock, knock. Who's there? Not your wife anymore. Then Mother Gothel keeps doing our job by talking about how Victoria slash Lady Tremaine slash Rapunzel is so many different people. She does, yeah, she's like, whatever she's going by these days after listing out all of her, you know, Rapunzel, Lady Tremaine, Victoria Belfry. Then she tells Rumple that the only way to wake Anastasia is going to require the loss of belief of an innocent And it's 11 o'clock. Does he know where his great-granddaughter is? What? 
nice reminder that she is his great-granddaughter and also a confirmation that Henry is her father and not, as I suspected, it might actually be Nick slash Jack. We still don't know. He could have adopted her. Yeah, that's true. Because we did have a point of uh, Jacinda calling Marcus her father and not her stepfather. That's true. That's true. But yeah, I I do think that the show's not going to do that. I think it's going to end up being Henry. Yeah. We cut to Victoria picking up Lucy from dance class. By the way, we hadn't, I hadn't noticed this before. I don't know if it had been revealed before. That it's Red Shoe Ballet. It's Red Shoe Ballet. Is that a reference to something in particular? Yeah, the red shoes are the ones that they make you a great dancer, but they force you to dance until they fall apart. Ooh, wow. Yeah. Good Good dive there once upon a time. I love when they do great little subtle dives like that. Victoria, though, tells Lucy that she has to tell her something important. And Lucy does not want to hear it because she's like, no, you're an evil person who tried to steal me from my mom. And then Victoria pulls the Once Upon a Time book out of her gigantic handbag. The old school, original flavor Once Upon a Time book. Listeners, I am not ashamed to tell you that when she pulled it out of her purse, I gasped. I was like, Max, is the book! It's true. I was there. She did. And Lucy's like, holy motherfucking shit. Victoria tells her, you're right. Everything you think is true. I am Lady Tremaine. I am the evil stepmother. Let's have a conversation. Mm. And then she... And then we go to the two of them on a park bench going through the book. And she's showing her the story of Rapunzel. And... I kind of love it because she sees the story of Rapunzel and Lucy is very excited to be learning all this stuff about her past. And then she like turns the page and sees Rapunzel poisoning Cecilia and is like, wait, hold up. Stop the motherfucking train. And to be fair, Victoria's like, okay, it looks bad and it is bad, but I didn't kill her or anything. I just made it so that she wouldn't be around so that I could have my family back. Like how you were trying to get me out of the way so you could get your family back, you see? Parallels. I like how she's like, I would never kill her. I just made her go away. (sighs) But Lucy has been prepped for this because she's read Henry's novel, which means that she's basically seen the first six seasons of Once Upon a Time. So she's already prepped for Regina's redemption arc, which leaves her particularly vulnerable to Victoria's maneuverings here. Yeah, this is one of those places where being genre savvy is a pretty big hindrance rather than a help. Yeah. And it's funny, it's not even wrong genre savvy. It's just like being the wrong character. Yeah. So uh, Victoria tells her that... uh... That after Cecilia fled her family, Marcus went after her, but he did eventually come back, and then they were all one big happy family until this flashback we're about to see. Until the inciting incident. Yeah, so we cut to a flashback of it's winter, the three girls are building a snowman on a frozen pond. 
This seems like such a bad idea for so many reasons. So I never grew up in a place that had winter, so I this is like completely new to me. I don't know how dangerous what they're doing is. No, this is really, really dangerous. I grew up in the Northeast, and you got a ton of talks about never walking out on ice, even on really, really shallow surfaces. Like, you get warned about this a lot. Wait, so you don't, like... Isn't there, like, a thing where you can look and tell how frozen it is, and you can tell if it's safe to walk on? Like, if it's white, it's it's thick enough that it's safe, and if it's clear, it's not? There is a thing, they told us about the thing, but they were very clear. They're like, look, unless you see lots of adults on it, don't go on it, even if you think it's safe. So do kids not really skate on frozen ponds? Uh, they do, that is a thing, but, like... It's something that, like, the the city goes out there and makes sure that it's safe before people go out onto it. Like, Oh, okay. Because this is how you die in the Northeast. Like, you can get trapped under a very small amount of water. So I do know that. And I do know that, like, you can fall through the ice and then lose where the hole is really quickly. And then you're, like, underneath a sheet of ice and there's nothing, there's, like, no way out. Yeah. So, like, I, I am, I'm familiar with that, you know, from television. Yeah, I, I'm going through a very limited thing because I hated ice skating, so I was aware of this, but I wasn't one of the people who'd go out to go skating on frozen lakes. I know that the uh, in my hometown, anyway, they'd set up a rink in the town green, which was where you were supposed to go. Okay, well, I will accept your judgment that this is terribly dangerous, so they're building a snowman on top of a frozen lake. They are. To be fair, they're building it on the edge of the frozen lake. That's even worse, though. That means they didn't have to be on the lake at all. They could have been, like, a few feet over. Yeah, you could have just not been on the lake. Well, but actually, it's not building the snowman that's the issue. It's that the the hat, you know, the magic hat that brings him to life, Mm -hmm. blows away across the lake. And Ella walks across the lake to get the hat. Also, A, they're teenagers. They're old enough to know better. B, uh... Rapunzel and Marcus see that she's doing this and don't do anything to stop her. Well, so I just assume they thought it was safe. They shouldn't have. Okay, but well, yeah, so for obvious reasons. They obviously shouldn't have and as she's walking across the lake, we can see the cracks appearing in the ice so you know we the audience know how unsafe it is. And in fact, Anastasia sees the cracks appearing and instead of, like, shouting at Ella to come back, which is what she should have done, right? Mm-hmm. She puts her weight on the ice and walks over to fetch Ella. Which, also, Ella had made it almost all the way to the other side of the thing. She should have just been like, keep walking to the other side of this frozen. We're saying, like, it's like a pond. Yeah, yeah, it's a pond. Like, she should have said just, like, keep going a little more. The ice is breaking. Yes, well... So I didn't even think she noticed the ice was breaking. I just thought she went over with her. No, she notices that the ice is breaking and walks over to get her back when she should have used her words. This is what talking's for. But instead of using her words, she walks over, the ice breaks, and the two of them fall into the pond. Yes. And Marcus and and everything cuts to slow motion as Marcus and Rapunzel see what's happening. Marcus runs across the lake and dives into the water. Rapunzel holds Drizella close and is like, don't worry, he'll get her. And Marcus... Yeah, it's... he. It, he'll get her. Yes, I know. I did notice that. Yes. 
Marcus resurfaces with Ella, and Rapunzel is like, um, what about our daughter? And he says, I only had time to save one, so I saved the good one. He doesn't say that. He does say, I could only save one. And look, we still have our backup here. God, Drizella needs so much therapy. She does. Okay, but also, on my on my Marcus is the worst kick, like, he doesn't say, she's the one who was closer, I grabbed her. He doesn't say, I couldn't find Anastasia. He doesn't say, Anastasia's already gone, I grabbed Ella. He says, I could only save one, and this is the choice I made. Like, he chooses literally the worst thing he could have said. See, now I have one from each wife. God. By the way, we will recall that Ella said that Lady Tremaine blames her for the death of Anastasia. And I can see how a grieving mother would do that. But she is so not at fault here. I know you kind of blame her for walking out on the ice. But let's, like, compare it to Snow White. Well, I mean, the walking out on the ice thing is on Anastasia not on i mean no ella's the one who ella walked on the ice anastasia was trying to save ella yeah but i mean anastasia was the one who made the choice to walk out on the ice it's i feel like it's like regina blaming snow for uh, what happened to daniel in that cora is the one responsible for this like the whole thing is on marcus yes of course but Snow did have a little culpability in that Regina specifically was like, my mother is evil, please don't tell her anything, and Snow immediately ran and told her. Yeah. I And I think uh, Ella, Ella has even less culpability than that. Yeah, Ella did literally nothing wrong. She did something stupid, but that's... Yes. This is... This, this death is not on her at all, though. I would say literally it's more on Anastasia than on Ella. Yeah, she should have used her words. And arguably, the weight of the two of them together is what ended up breaking the ice. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's funny? What? Um, Them walking across the ice and the ice breaking really reminds me of the opening credits of Big Love, where that happens. Hmm. Have you seen? I haven't. Okay. I know it's Jennifer Goodwin. Exactly! Big Love, which also stars Jennifer Goodwin, although she's not in this show anymore, but I don't know. I Like I said, I didn't grow up somewhere with ice, so my main reference for ice breaking and people falling through the ice is the opening credits of Big Love. Hmm. So... We, there are too many people on the ice and the weight. Yes. So we cut uh, back to Seattle, where... Seattle Grace. Seattle Grace... <laughs> Is Liv Moore working in the basement? Oh, Seattle, sorry, Seattle Grace is from Grey's Anatomy. Uh. Or, uh, possibly, uh, Grace Sloan Memorial in later seasons. So, anyway, we cut back to the hospital where Victoria has taken Lucy to show her, hey, I know how you think that this all ends with happy endings, but every happy ending is paid with someone else's suffering, and your parents getting together resulted in this. Like, this is the pain that was paid to get a happy ending. I love this, by the way. Not, I mean, not necessarily the speech, which is super fucking dark. Mm-hmm. But the fact that Victoria's mission here is to destroy Lucy's belief. And instead of making Lucy not believe in fairy tales, she's just like, 
hey, guess what? Everything sucks. Be cynical and jaded. Fairy tales are real and they suck. Like, instead of trying to make her stop believing in Hogwarts, she just made her read The Magicians. <laughs> and Lucy's like, that's not true. It's not true. Fairy tales do have happy endings for good people. I mean, look, my mom is getting back together with Henry. And it's weird that she refers to him as Henry. Well, I think that she is trying to not freak him out. So she started thinking of him as Henry in her head instead of, you know, her dad. dad. Yeah. But she's like, my mom's getting to get back together with Henry and we're going to be a happy family. And Victoria's like, eh, no, we forgot to mention it earlier. Uh, she dropped off a teddy bear that Lucy forgot at her house when she was visiting Jacinda earlier. And I have to say, as soon as she dropped, it's a doll, it's not a, it's not a bear, it's a doll. Mm-hmm. But as soon as she dropped it off, you and I were both like, there's an Annie Cam in there. There's obviously an Annie Cam in there. Jacinda, what are you doing? You don't deserve custody if you don't immediately know there's a nanny Cam in there. Spoiler for this, not even spoiler, fun fact, there was a nanny Cam in there and it recorded jacinda kissing nick so i guess she's lucky that happened right by the way it's in the app which is called spy doll god i like how quickly she has to pull it away because she shows lucy the kissing bit and then she's like and that's it nothing happened after that right if she doesn't pull it back quick enough lucy's gonna see jacinda dancing around the kitchen with the (laughs) mixtape but lucy is still not quite ready to give up her belief she's like no we fought you and now I'm with my mom. And Victoria's like, yeah, but not Henry. Henry left town. Henry's gone forever. Your family will never be reunited because life sucks even if you are Cinderella. And then Lucy starts to cry because Jesus fucking Christ, Victoria. Yeah, like she was coming at her really, really hard and... I'm just going to put this out into the universe. Uh, if you are crying, maybe don't let strange women catch your tears in, you know, tiny pieces of cloth or droppers. Even if they are your grandmother. Even if they are your you grandmother. Especially if they're your grandmother. But she cries right. I would try to hold on to the Once Upon a Time book. She leaves her tear and the Once Upon a Time book with her grandmother as she runs out of the room crying because... An older woman just spent about five minutes yelling at her about how there's no such thing as happy endings. Okay, leaving the Once Upon a Time book behind is symbolic of how her belief in the idea of happy endings has been killed. It was really clever of Victoria to be like, you were right, and that's why this is wrong. Yeah, you know what? Good on Victoria. So back in fair- back in Fairytale Land, Rapunzel is bringing mostly dead Anastasia back to Mother Gothel. So did she go into the water and get her, or what? What happened there? I mean, I assume she yelled at Marcus until he jumped back in and got her out? I guess. She brings her to Mother Gothel, and Mother Gothel casts calm repose on her, which seals in her last breath until she can have her resurrected, possibly with a wish spell. And uh, Mother Gothel's like, look... I gave you that mushroom as a test because I need someone pure of heart, a hero pure of heart, the Guardian, who is also who Rumpelstiltskin is looking for audience. I need them for a reason, and I thought that maybe you could be the Guardian, but then you, you know, went with your worst instincts, poisoned that lady, and now I'm like, 
maybe it's not you. Maybe it's this frozen chick. Yep, it was a test, just the way Victoria was supposedly testing Jacinda when she took custody of Lucy. But now, Mother Gothel is going to lock Anastasia in the tower instead and see if she's not the guardian. And she reaches for the, you know, tower-creating potion, and Rapunzel's like, Huh, look at what I got here. Shazow! Yep, she's like, I totally stole this, I'm gonna throw it at you, and you just told me that you used blood magic to make the seal harder to get out of, so fuck you, you're in a tower until you can seduce a pirate. Yep. That, that is how it goes down. Just a... It was nice that uh, Mother Gothel cast the peaceful repose on uh, Anastasia before she tried locking her in the tower. Yeah, that was nice of her. I just... Does she think that pirates only have sex with girls in pink dresses? Yeah. You know the rhyme. Pirates only have sex with girls in pink dresses. Okay. I mean, I'm just saying... I was gonna say, does she think pirates only have sex with blonde women... But she's also blonde. Yeah. I, whatever, whatever. (laughs) Doesn't matter. Let's finish this episode up. We're so close. So Rapunzel promises her daughter's frozen corpse that she'll find a way to make her a non-frozen, non-corpse. And then we cut back to Grey Sloan Memorial, where she is suckering up that one single tear with a stopper. Mm Mm-hmm. And... Then we get a scene where Rumpel is out looking for Lucy. And he has some uniformed officers with him also looking for Lucy. They found her backpack, but not, you know, her. Mm. Which is weird. Why did she drop her backpack? Well, I do like it has her phone in it, and they were trying to track her phone. Oh, I didn't realize that's what was going on. That makes total sense. Because he, he pulls her phone out. And he's like, damn it. I was like, isn't she kind of young to have a phone? But I guess kids have phones now. Oh, yeah. Especially for things like this. You want to be able to track them. Mm. But it's weird because we didn't see Lucy drop her bag. And there's no reason she would have dropped her bag. And Rumpel says he can't look at her mother's place because that's the one place she won't be. But spoiler alert for the scene after this one, that's exactly where she goes. I, no clue. Okay. Well, Hook comes up so that he can yell at Rumple about how Rumple is investigating, like, half the town for no reason and obsessed with this dagger and what the actual fuck. And Rumple's like, I'm not going to give you the full story, but I'm going to give you enough of a story. I am also looking for a person. I am as passionate about looking for this person as you were about looking for Miss Gardner. And... Until I find this person, I can have no rest. That is all of the information I'm giving you. And Hook's like, that sounds like bullshit. He does say that the person is his wife. He says that this person will help him reunite with his wife. His wife, Belle. Okay, so actually what he says is, the words he says are, I would do anything to reunite with my wife. So you took that to mean that he's... Well, he says, I've been separated from my wife and I would do anything to be reunited with her. Okay. I was taking it that he was meaning Belle as the person he was looking for, but you're right because then it falls into the whole like Rumpelstiltskin not actually telling a lie thing, even though he heavily implies that the person he's looking for is his wife. Yes. But technically he is looking for someone who will help him. You're right. Technically he did not say those words. So, 
we see we we're intercutting between Lucy walking home. She walks in front of a bridal shop that happens to have the Cinderella dress in it, which just brings to mind the fact that more wedding dresses should be not white. Okay, number one, there should be more not white wedding dresses. Um, I wore blue in my first wedding and red at my second. Mm. But uh, what this brought to mind for me is the fact that there is a Disney branded wedding dress line. Ooh, really? Yeah, but they're all white. What's the point of that? I mean, they're cut like the Disney princess dresses, but they're all white because, I don't know, we all want to pretend we're virgins? Come on. I think it's we all want to pretend we're really, really rich. Ooh, that's something. Maybe. Okay. So, uh, Lucy walking home is intercut with Victoria Belfry slowly walking across the room to drop the eyedropper onto her mostly dead daughter. Yes. Jacinda goes to see what's wrong with Lucy because she's obviously very sad, but that sadness is nothing compared to the fact that we see that the moment Anastasia wakes up, Lucy collapses, like Henry eating the turnover in season one. Yeah, wow. Real shades of season one. And, uh, yeah. Plus, her waking up is like Henry waking up at the end of season one. Yeah, we even see, before Victoria uses the dropper, she kisses Anastasia on the forehead, the way that Emma woke up Henry. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she does her arc words, you know, when it comes to my family, I will always find a way. Ha ha, David and Mary Margaret, you can't sue. And then we see Ivy creepily looking in the window at Anastasia being woken up. It was very, it's very much, oh, that must be a friend of theirs. <laughs> Yeah, and she walks off with tears in her eyes. Aw, nobody loves her. Yeah, honestly, I'm I'm still on Drizella's side by the end of the episode. I really get why she doesn't like Victoria. I'm I'm more on Victoria's side than Drizella's side, but I'm not not on Drizella's side. I'm basically just not on Marcus's side. Yeah, Marcus is the goddamn worst. Yeah. So, that was another really good episode. I know! Okay, so... Knock on wood. Yeah, I mean, we're at episode 9 of 22, and we're still we're still holding strong, so... Woo! Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, Fashion Corner? Okay, well, I really... I really liked Sabine's oversized sweater. Sabine had a real comfortable mom look this episode. She looked so cozy. Yes, very cozy. She, we also had, um, we also didn't talk about it, but at Drizella's birthday party, everybody was wearing their great faux fairy tale dresses. Even Rapunzel, who was supposedly dressed as a servant, was wearing a great white simple dress. Hmm. None of the fairy tale outfits really popped for me this episode, except for uh, the cloak Marcus repaired. Oh my god, yes. I can't believe I didn't even mention that. The cloak that Marcus prepared, which was actually a plot point, was white and gorgeous and fur-lined and white. It wa- looked gold in the later shots of it. it just... Yeah, the, yeah, it was like white and gold. And also... Way more expensive than a cloak she would have actually dropped, but that's fine. We'll let it go. Yeah. And recommendations. Okay, so my recommendation is more of a, like, 
general evil queen tone of Once Upon a Time recommendation than a recommendation specific to this episode. All right. And that's the new Audible original play. It's not really an audiobook. It's it's really an audio performance called Heads Will Roll, written by Kate McKinnon and starring Kate McKinnon and her real-life sister as an evil queen and also her pet raven. It is... The sister is the pet raven, not, yes. not Kate McKinnon. Yeah. It's, it's hilarious. Hilarious. It's funny. It's four hours. I recommend it. Okay, so my recommendation is a little sideways. I feel weird recommending this because it's not something I've actually read. But the movie, Rise of the Guardians, which you might remember as the one with Viking Santa Claus. I'm sure people remember that as the one with sexy Jack, Jack Frost. Frost. Yes. Uh, which is a fine enough movie on its own. I didn't love it. It was good enough. It has some really impressive animation, especially the snow effects, which, as I believe I've mentioned on this podcast before, are a thousand million times better than the ones in Frozen. Okay, but... okay. But anyway, uh, it it features falling through ice as a plot point, which is what, you know, made me think of it this episode. I guess I should really watch that movie. It's really in our, like, wheelhouse. I feel like I need to have that. It is. It's a, it's a solid movie. It's got... The narration at the beginning and at the end are really what blows it for me. And also, it's one of those movies where it sort of feels like they're focusing on the least interesting character. Oh, yeah. I believe I described it when leaving the theaters as Jack Frost's emo adventures through Sadland. <laughs> Wait, did you describe that as the movie with the sexy Santa? I said Viking Santa. Oh, okay, because I was going to say the one with the sexy Santa is the Kurt Russell movie that came out on Netflix last year. You mean the one that's an inverse Sant the Santa Claus? Yes. Because, uh, you know, Santa Claus kills these kids' uh, dad so he can sleep with their mom. That is what happens in that movie. Also... There's a scene where Santa Claus is in prison and he turns the other prisoners into blues musicians so that they can have a blues band moment. And I feel like they wrote that scene and then wrote a whole movie to get to that scene. But back to my actual recommendation. Sorry, sorry. I can't not talk about the sexy Kurt Russell Santa Claus movie. I'm not explicitly recommending Rise of the Guardians, which is a fine enough movie, but rather the series of books it's based on by William Joyce mostly because I've heard really good things about them and I've liked William Joyce's other books. What else did he write? Uh, he, you might know his books from being adapted into lots of really bad uh, kids' movies. He wrote George Shrinks, which is a very adorable book. The thing about his books is the illustrations are so beautiful. Oh. He did the book that Epic is based off of. All of Oh, his, God, yeah. All of his books have these really long titles I can't remember. A Day at Wilbur Robinson's, which is... Whoa, those were all the same guy? Yeah. That's wild. And I'm sorry, I cut you off before you could say that that became the Disney movie Meet the Robinsons. Which I haven't seen, but... Okay, wait. You have to see that movie, though. I know that you're going to be disappointed in it not being like the book, but as its own movie, it's really charming. The book is... The book captures so perfectly which i know the movie isn't because it's about family or whatever but the book is the perfect encapsulation of what it's like to be staying over at a friend's house when you're a kid when that friend is very different from you oh you know that 
how the movie ends, right? It turns out that he's actually the Robinson's grandfather or something. And, like, the old man is actually him. Yeah. And it's a horrifying mirror into the future where he's insane and everyone just laughs him off. Yes. That's correct. Yeah. But, yeah, they've made William Joyce's books into a bunch of movies which are not great. I don't know. Also, I think George Shrinks is a PBS show now. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But you should, but uh, Rise of the Guardians was for slight or the Guardians series that he wrote was for slightly older children, so it's not illustrated. I don't think I ever read it, but I'm recommending it just off of the power of his actual children's books, which you should also check out because they are beautiful. All right. So those are recommendations. Yes. Next week's episode is episode ten, the Eighth Witch. Ooh. And the Netflix description is. When Drizella threatens the realm with a dark curse, Henry and Ella craft a plan to keep Lucy safe. Ronnie seeks out her sister in San Francisco. Jeez, spoiler alert synopsis. Well, I mean, last week we were like, who's she going to go get? Probably Zelina. And we were right. Look at that. As we always are about everything. Absolutely. Or at least we'll cut the episode to sound like we were. So that'll about do it. Yeah. Welcome to Storybrook is partially listener supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, you should head over to our website, www.ilovetelevisionzines, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, and Rosa. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you can always rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode or anything else TV-related, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. Uh, we can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Storybrook. Thank you.